Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good and good evening and welcome to this, the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you very much for joining me on this Thursday afternoon. Although uh, I will let you in on a little secret. Listen, this is the second time of doing this recording because I messed up the first one. But I don't mind admitting that. We should all admit our faults. If you are not listening to this on a Thursday, you could be listening to this on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday or well Wednesday. You are more than welcome. And today's podcast, I'm quite looking forward to, not least because I have the fabulous Emma Leonis as my partner in coming with me today. Emma, you right? I am. Thank you, Chris. Good to uh, be on another pod together. Yes, as always. And today we are going to be talking about, it's a follow-on from the webinar that you ran Mm -hmm. uh, just over a week ago at the time of recording now. The webinar was called Engaging the Unconnected Workforce and it featured Henry Victor from BP and Sharon Benson as well uh, from Edison Young People. And Sharon and Henry gave a little bit of their background and experience. And it was a really, really interesting one. I won't go into their particular stories because our listeners can, of course, just access the webinar. If you go to lacepartners.co.uk forward slash insights, you can get access to that. But we thought we'd get a surprise special guest on to also talk about some of the, the topics, didn't we, Ems? We did. Yes, absolutely. Yes. One of my close friends, uh, Simon Caniff. Lovely to have you on the pod, Simon. Hi, Emma. And hi, Chris. Really nice <laughs> to be part of the pod this morning, this afternoon or this morning. So maybe there, there is no time. Is there is no time in uh, podcast world, is there? It just all sort of blends into one. Uh, sorry, I'm gone, Karen. That's all right. No, 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 no problems, Chris. I was going to say, Simon. So at the moment, obviously, you're at EasyJet, um, which yep. really would be a really fascinating organisation in general to work for. But particularly given the last sort of two years and the industry and that type of thing with travel and all of the changes, but also the type of workforce. Hence, we thought it'd be really, really great to get some of your perspectives today on maybe some of the challenges, the opportunities that you've seen and also how you're tackling I guess that sort of 80 percent you know with your workforce that is operational frontline traveling mobile workforce literally mobile workforce so maybe Simon if we start with just a little bit about your role organizational context and then we'll kind of delve in yeah I'll start first of all with organizational context of what we are um, just just so people get a flavor of that so clearly EasyJet's large organization so we are the seventh largest airline in the world we have 350 plus planes and in terms of employees probably in the region of 15,000 employees at any point in time and i guess in terms of organizational context of what i do at easyjet emma i'm the people services director which means it's quite hard to describe i've described it to many people and it, and it kind of varies but if you think about the employee life cycle from hire through to retire part of my team will be doing some component of it. So from talent acquisition through to onboarding, through to our systems and technology, payroll, um, also property and real estate, and then employee relations, so discipline, grievance and absence. And I guess what I would say is that EasyJet, the the model of shared services, we've evolved massively, getting more and more within our shared service domain and thinking about the big question you've described around the unconnected workforce. Um, In terms of workforce, as I said, 15,000 employees, but what's odd about it is 90% of that workforce is remote. So they're they're not 
they're not in front of a computer and they are remote either flying planes cabin crew obviously serving customers within planes which kind of obviously do a really important job around safety and that, that type of stuff and then we also have a significant engineering workforce as well so we service our 340 planes across eight different countries and again they they could be deployed at any point in time to go and fix a plane and turnaround times are re- really really quick so i guess unconnected workforce is super important to us because it's the bulk of the people that we're servicing Mm. Fantastic context. Thank you, Simon. And, and you know, also the, what you were saying there around just generally what you're responsible for and the role of shared services, you know, property and real estate, probably for most organisations, won't sit anywhere in HR at all. So that in itself is is really interesting. And maybe we'll yeah. come on to that in a bit too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we, if we get into it, it's, it's an unusual model, I would say, mm. but but for good reason. Yeah, fab. Thank you. So maybe if we start with you know, just thinking about that 90% remote workforce, you know, the cabin crew, the engineers, the pilots, what are some of their core needs? Yeah, again, it's it's really interesting when you sort of chat about core HR needs, because I think they have quite distinct needs around what, what they're after. So so most important thing is they all get paid and they all want to understand what, what their payroll is, right? So there's a significant need around pay information that we have on a regular basis. So, you know, dynamic pay slips, that type of stuff. Their contact points are quite different. And what, and what I mean by that is we we clearly fly 24-7 and they're not working nine to five. So that kind of out of hours contact is super important for them. Many of them will be after referencing is really important for them. So things like if you imagine your cabin crew, we move cabin crew quite often around Europe based on the, you know where we where we have customer demand and their own personal circumstances. So there's a big thing for things like employment references or labor labor market referencing for the for the jobs they do. Um, I'd say one of the things probably that most of them struggle one is really understanding our policies. So having clarity on things like sickness policy, absence policy, what that means to them in their role. Um, the other thing I would say is what are they looking for? Probably a bit about job opportunities as well. So, you know, what, what are other roles that I could do in the future? What does that mean for my own career development? And, and I would say the, the biggie for me, just in terms of what are some of their needs is around communication. So, in other words, thinking about them as different communities that we want to engage and talk to. And maybe we can pick up on some of those sort of needs, like pay information, referencing, um, job opportunities, and explore perhaps how you're delivering those services to them. Um, Because obviously a lot of organisations will do all of this in different ways. Um, Not surprising that the first thing you mentioned was about, I need to know my pay. Ideally, it'd be as real time as possible. It'd be dynamic. So maybe, Simon, if you could just elaborate on some of the initiatives that perhaps you're either implementing now, have implemented, or are looking to implement to address some of those needs. Yeah, so a few things that we've got. So at the moment, we have got a, what I would describe as an HR hub of information and data. So that's got Effectively, it's a web front end for what we do, and that would be our advice, guidance. And again, you'll probably not be surprised at this, Emma, but it kind of will dynamically know who a person is and which country and display information in local languages, local persona groups. Um, We've got a portal that allows users to raise questions and queries. So I kind of describe it as a ticketing platform for queries and questions. We've got a whole plethora of localized, frequently asked questions. So a kind of database of things that colleagues have kind of raised in in the past. What what I would say is we've we've made a real effort within the content we've got on our websites to make it local, but also 
not talk in HR language. So be be relevant to people so that they can read it on their phone, on the go, and it makes sense. And I guess you, you raised it a little bit around contact. What we kind of try and do is give people really flexible contact mechanisms, so things like giving them a number to call the team where they require it, allowing them to raise an email if that's what they want to do, go on to front end. So as many channels as possible, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's that omni-channel approach. Yeah. And just out of, just out of interest from there, which channels do, uh, are the most popular? And the reason why I'm asking that is because I've just literally read a report from one of our partners and they're talking about the, the how so many businesses across all sectors are not really adopting mobile first strategies or haven't done so yet. It sounds to me like you guys probably are a little bit further ahead along that yeah. journey. It, do you know what? I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. Honestly, the, the the answer in EasyJet is people don't actually call us that often. So the service center, they, they don't call. They normally use a blended email mechanism to contact us. And I think that's a bit of a legacy thing of that's that's kind of how, how they contacted in the past. Um, so the what I would say, Chris, is at times, particularly you'll hear IT consultants talking about everyone self-serving. Um, my experience certainly from an from a kind of an HR shared services perspective is that is the case for some, but not many. So I guess we one, we try and make it really easy, but also we try and as part of the process really think about our user base. Yeah. Hence I guess that omnichannel piece is so important, Simon. Yeah, a little bit. Again, if if I think about other organisations where I've kind of managed other disparate teams, the the question on channel and how people are coming in would be completely different, which is mm-hmm. often I've seen it, it's very telephony based. Mm-hmm. And it, and again, equally, the, the sort of legacy of EasyJet being based in Luton, we used to get like hundreds and hundreds of people just kind of going up to the team and asking them questions on the day, which is difficult to manage. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Really difficult to manage. And and I'm interested in the out of hours support as well um, and how you manage that more from a planning the team's capacity to answer those queries that might be coming in or whether there's a kind of SOS type emergency number that people can call if it's really urgent, that type of thing. Yeah, we're, we're not we're not there, honestly, yet. We've got an SOS for emergency type staff, emergency contact. We've got a 24-7 EAP, so employee mm-hmm. assistance program for kind of health and well-being needs. We've got the portal where people can raise queries in, where they can see the progress against their query. We've also got as an organization a business continuity kind of planning process that, again, has out of ours contacts. But I would say we need to do more on that self-serve component kind of Saturday to Sunday and test different approaches, I would suggest. And does everybody think about mobile? Because you talked about, you know, raising things on mobiles. Is it company mobile, personal mobile? Because some organisations will go, I can't do personal mobile because of IT security. And it's funny, um, EasyJet is the carbon opposite of every other remote workforce I've, I've seen, to be honest with you, which is we are personal mobile first. So, and I think it's a, a little bit about the breakdown of the workforce, but certainly our cabin crew are always on a mobile. They're always on social channels. And as a result, they are super confident and comfortable to use that channel for us in terms of communication. Pilots all have company provided iPads that basically gives them their work to do each day, the checks they do across the work. So again, they use that technology to, to service. So again, I, I think I'm fortunate in this role in that we don't have things like, you know, booths and tablets and stuff. Mm. We have very much individual doing activities that's right for them in real time. 
Yeah. And you'll see it. It's interesting, you know, even getting the bus to the terminal, you'll see people on the bus coming in using it. And so I take it from that perspective, you don't get much pushback because, again, one some of the things that I've read just really in the press and the business press lately is the idea, you know, you've got cabinet ministers talking about the differences between the work and home line life balance and things like that. No, don't get any at all in the organ. The, my last organisation, again, we used to get pushback on exactly the same type of thing. And again, they went down a route of having terminals within some of their core operational businesses. But certainly at EasyJet, we don't get any pushback on it. And actually, it's quite interesting because the channels, I would say, are increasingly blurred towards social as well as work. So, for example, we've got Workplace, which is a kind of Facebook group for our communities. And I would say they are massively and actively used by the teams. And do you think part of that sort of social side is maybe also the demographic of, of the workforce? So not just the fact that they're mobile and, and moving around and are literally always on their mobiles. It's also perhaps their sort of early 20s to early 30s, the generational aspect. Perhaps. Definitely. I 100% think it is the generational, generational impact. But I think it because there's such a large community that are in that kind of group, mm-hmm. I think it extends out beyond that. So if I think about my own leadership team, you know, we've got an active WhatsApp chat going on most of the time about something work related. And I think that's a, a symptom of the culture that we've got in the business, which is great, actually. Yeah, no, and I'm really interested by that because I think if you can kind of create that pool and that, that natural osmosis of new behaviours, that's great to get enough kind of momentum behind it. But also as we get the new generations coming into the workforce, they haven't known anything but their mobile. So the fact that actually as an organisation you're already working like that will just mean that it's so easy for you to continue to evolve with what's coming in. Yeah, definitely. But but I think it takes a slightly different management as well. So so what I would say is if you've got, for example, a, um, a, a community where you've got feeds where people are commenting on stuff, you can get to scenarios where you've got, I don't know, say you have a pay, pay issue, it can be that you get hundreds of questions that are individuals trying to help self-help one another on a particular issue. And that's difficult for a shared service team to try and have an impact onto. So I guess what I'd say, Emma, it, will, it takes a bit of careful management at times. Mm. Mm. No, I can imagine. I can imagine that because you also don't want, as much as it's very helpful for people to help each other, oh, I had that issue, this is what I did, them to be giving some information that's perhaps not quite exactly right or wrong yeah. or, yeah, causes problems so it's, online. Yeah, so we tend to, I guess we tend to try and monitor the channel so we're clear. And again, this is increasingly how we work with our internal comms colleagues to know this type of stuff is going on and to try and upstream get involved where we can. Does that bring you guys... I guess, from a perception from the rest of the business, do you think that brings you a bit closer to the rest of the business because you're not seen as this ivory tower because, you know, you're monitoring what's going on and you're allowing people to interact with each other and share each other's bits of advice, but it's not just, I've got to go to HR to get this, you know, that kind of perspective. Do you think that, that's my question, I guess, do you think it's brought, it brings you guys closer, again, not so much of an ivory tower approach? Yeah, I think a little bit. I think a little bit. And again, equally, I would say because traditionally in the business, people have been in and out of the kind of HQ, you know, so our crew, for example, would be in the, in our office and they would go directly from the office to the airport to fly on a plane. So I, I think that, Chris, the culture has always been a little bit of non, you know, it's 
it's democratic. You can stroll up to anyone and ask a question. There's I, only the CEO has an office in the business, so it's incredibly flat in that respect. But I agree with some of you know a lot of your observation, which is it, it breaks some HR barriers, kind of them and us scenario. And one of the things we, we talked a little bit about on our webinar um, with our panelists, Simon, was the importance of communication. And in that particular context, when we were talking about it, it was, again, in, in the sense of people who might be on the go all the time, don't have time to check everything. How do you get really key messages to those individuals in a timely manner? But also, how do you make them feel physically connected to, to what's going on, if that makes yeah. sense, from a broader organisational standpoint. So what are some of the things, again, that you found work really well, given the context of, of your workforce? Yeah, so a few things. So we've obviously got the portal I described mm -hmm. earlier, so yeah. we can we can put kind of messaging across that to tell them on things like payslip release, that type of stuff. Um, we've got an active ticketing platform so they can see the, you know, the state of anything that they've got going on. Um, the way we do engagement is a little bit different. So we run quarterly pulse surveys throughout the organization asking a selection of questions. And again, what's quite nice about the technology we've got there is as a as kind of manager of that team, you can respond in a real time for people mm -hmm. to get feedback on a particular issue. I'd say at a comms level, the thing we've done a lot of a lot of work on is our user guides and making them not technical but simple to follow and things like active video around how to do basic hr stuff the i guess the other thing i would i would sort of say is increasingly within our workplaces it's really important to think about well-being as well so thinking about well-being type products that people can consume that increasingly blurs that kind of work-life balance perspective so again, one of one of the things we're doing recently at the moment actually is we've got a new occupational health provider that we're looking to onboard. And as part of that, there's a variety of social channels that we're looking to integrate with them. So things like a stepping challenge between your colleagues or an ability to get discounts on certain health products, which again I think takes HR from being just the policy police to be to be more about the holistic individual. Mm. Mm, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, sort of that policy piece in the comms, I guess, links back to one of the kind of three or four areas that you mentioned at the very top of the podcast around what people struggle with or what they need. You know, you were saying, I struggle with policies and what they mean in my role. So if you can give them snippets, make it really easy, digestible, push that out to them at certain points in time, or at least just make it accessible. That clearly would yeah, be helpful. Yeah, 100% agree. And, and I also think there's an element of HR have a tendency to think about HR from the language of an HR professional. And I guess my view would be that's a bit of nonsense, really. You need to think about it from the perspective of someone that asks a question to HR twice a year, you know, or an important point of their employment life cycle where they need the right type of advice, mm -hmm. um, which is why I always sort of struggle with this. Everyone can self-serve kind of mentality because I just don't think it's reality. I think most people, it's a bit like your tax return. You know, if you think about when you do your tax return, it always takes a bit of scratching your head the first time you do it because it's been 12 months since the year before. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think assumptions are always a, a dangerous thing, particularly yeah. if you haven't got a backup plan. Um, hence, the, hence the kind of contact your way or omni-channel approach is brilliant for that because you've got options for people. Yeah, and, and being, and being, I guess, measure the right things as well. So, so I, I, I've seen so many consultants talk to me about, Oh, how long does it take you to complete a query? And 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 if I'm honest, again, I would say what's important is do you solve it when someone asks you the question yeah. and do you take the time to say, that isn't me, but I can get you the help of someone that will help you. 
exactly exactly you don't feel like a number you feel like a person in that scenario because someone tried to help you yeah yeah yeah. One other kind of sort of quick question from me. I'm just thinking about kind of managing schedules, having the autonomy to try and manage my own work, my own balance of you know, the trips that I do from a cabin crew, pilots, those kind of things. How how do people do that? How easy is it to do that? Do team leads care about that kind of thing? Just curious. Yeah. So, again, it's, it doesn't strictly sit in the HR space, but I can describe how we do it. Okay, so it, yeah. it, basically, we've got a rostering team. They plan out the rosters in a kind of month, month ahead basis. Individuals understand that the rosters they're on in terms of the hours they're going to work. And then they've got an opportunity as part of that to bid for leave. So they've got an opportunity mm-hmm. to say, I'd like this this time off at that point. Plus, they've got an opportunity to swap rosters with colleagues with similar skill set. Mm. And is that something that they can potentially do through their phones again? Just think about Correct. So, so again, yeah. it's completely phone based, all of that. So they see that they go in, they dynamically see their rosters. They can then understand where they, where they may want to flip stuff around, have a conversation with colleagues, basically. Cool. I wanted to ask you a question, just going back to what you what you said really resonated with me when you said HR speaking often speaks the language of HR. And I'm going to bring it back to, actually, Ems will love this. Uh, I'm going to bring it back to our white paper, the shared services white paper, a little bit of a plug there. In the future of HR shared services, you can download it on the Lace Partners website, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that we talk about in there is learning from kind of other departments, kind of having this mentality I don't want to say cough, cough, you know, being a marketing person, cough, cough, learning from marketing or customer experience, but I do often like to get that in there. Do you, have you guys, do you have a very, very close relationship with those other departments and have you applied similar principles to, you know, the customer services team internally to your employees? And has that had a, a positive impact for you guys? Yeah, well, I, I'd say what, what I've described is how we think about our customers externally. So I would say I probably don't, follow so much Chris the internal teams you know because I think we've kind of grown up with how we do customer stuff I I kind of like to think of it as you're a customer of EasyJet who's booking a flight first of all the app should be great and you should be able to self-serve but if you can't self-serve we should have a contact route where we can chat to you and try and engage you in the right way to get the answer and I guess I actually don't think I think teams that really get customer service be it internal or external, actually, on personal opinion, is that there's not a huge deal of difference. It's just thinking with that lens. Again, if I think back to personal experiences of, I don't know, say, engaging with your bank, the best people you engage with are the folk that really help you and try and solve your problem, as opposed to dialing through to a number and going through to 10 differing extensions to to solve something. Absolutely agree. So I want to just kind of flip it a little bit from talking about some of the things that you've done and all the positive aspects to actually thinking about maybe some of the lessons learned, Simon. So you've talked about the fact you've got a listening strategy and engagement strategy to kind of keep your finger on the pulse around how people, how people are feeling. And I would assume as part of that, the things that they need. And therefore that throws up some potential challenges for you to solve in terms of service delivery and, and how you think about your HR solutions. But maybe what are some of your lessons learned in terms of when you've tried to define solutions to some of the challenges that that workforce is facing? Yeah, so I'd say one of the big lessons I've learned is there isn't such a thing as that workforce. I think there's mm-hmm. different variants. So for me, there are, t- take cabin crew, we employ cabin crew in eight different countries and they've all got slightly different requirements. So I think the flexibility of that persona group is really important something i probably have learned about as as i've gone through this role um i've said it earlier on but you know the concept of self-serve doesn't always learn 
work and I think being progressive around that is important. Um, encouraging people to call in and, and ask open questions is equally important. And I guess probably other, one, of, one of the other things I've learned is around sensibly empowering your teams to do stuff that isn't quite their remit, basically, to really have that flexibility would, would, would all be things I've, I've definitely learned along the way. I guess I probably started my role with kind of this is a remit, how many queries have we got, how long are we dealing with it? And you kind of learn stuff as you go. Really interesting to see you paint that picture as to where you guys are at the moment. What I wanted to do, just because we're coming towards the end of today's fantastic podcast, it's been really, really insightful to get a little bit of a sneak peek inside the EasyJet world, actually. I'm looking forward to the future now. So can I get just a general, you know, what's next for in terms of your priority list? You know, what, what do you have planned in this space for the next year? Yeah, so the, the big piece of work we're doing at the moment is a study around voice of the customer. So that is a study we're doing in collaboration with Oxford Uni, where we are looking at the employee lifecycle and really thinking about the moments that matter for our workforce. And I guess my view would be we're, we're trying to go beyond policy to think about what do people want in the future of work and then what are the types of products that we as a team want to offer moving forward so things like you're off having a baby or you know due to have a baby what what could we do to make that experience better or you're due to return to work after getting married what are the types of things that we could think about so that's one thing we're looking at we are definitely looking at automated chat as i described earlier so an ability that you can chat to a bot on simple queries and questions and then the other thing I would say we're doing some kind of conscious thinking around is around the relationship between HR and internal comms and really thinking about internal comms vehicles to share information and knowledge. So again, we've got loads of you know good newsletters that go out across the organization. My experience is 90% of that is often HR information. So the question is, how do we tailor that in a bite-sized way? Things like podcasts and stuff that are more consumable to individuals. Yeah, it's important, isn't it? Because people digest information in different ways. And so the concept of just let's fire out a newsletter and then we've kind of done our job. It's okay. Yes, you may have ticked a box, but how many people are actually engaging with it? And then, yeah. Exactly that. So if you think about how you consume news, you know, we, we all consume news in a different way, but most people it's it's on your phone on a train with a five minute by size. And, and I think it's the same with internal comms and marketing moving forward. Yeah, perfect. Well, it's been really, really great having you on, Simon. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. Pleasure. And Emma, as always, partner in crime. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Chris. That was great. It was a good podcast. It was a really, really good podcast. You can find out all of our back catalogue of podcasts on the uh, Lace Partners website. You just need to go to lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. We are also, you can search for our variety of different bits of content that we produce, white papers. Uh, I mentioned a white paper. We might put that into the show notes just uh, so that if you wanted to download the uh, the HR Shared Services white paper that we've got, that'll be in there as well. Uh, nothing is left for me to say other than thank you very much once again to our guests for joining us. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.